Good morning, Hope Church. It's good to be with you again and uh, bringing the third in our series, Beginnings. And this morning, the title is God of the Big. So let me start by reading the verses in Genesis 1 that uh, I'm going to be speaking from. So this is verses 3 to 9 and then 14 to 19. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let dry land appear. And it was so. Let's go to verse 14. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. Now, over this last year with the uh, lockdown because of the pandemic, I've actually found God drawing me more and more back to some big truths about himself, to his sovereignty, to his majesty, to his power overall, to his knowing the end from the beginning. I've genuinely enjoyed sort of meditating on those things and reading a bit around them. So it was a real delight when I was asked to speak on this subject and I hope it, this will be helpful to you this morning. We're going to look at some big chunky stuff and try and also apply it to our lives. So let me start by introducing Genesis 1 broadly with a few comments. Now, the early chapters of Genesis and the one we're looking at, these were written thousands of years ago, at least four or five thousand years ago. And they have a timeless quality that applies to all ages and to all cultures. Fundamentally, the first three chapters of Genesis are addressing what we probably call met metaphysical questions, questions that cannot be answered by science. Who created everything? Why was it created? What is the purpose of everything that's around us? What's wrong with it? What's wrong with our world? And what is the answer to what's wrong with it? Now, I've called those metaphysical questions, but really it's not about philosophy. For thousands of years, men and women have asked those questions and probed into them. And we still ask those questions today. And Genesis 1 is concerned with what we would call ultimate causes, not secondary causes. Now, it's beautiful, profound language, and it uses uh, a sort of everyday speech, you could argue, that can be read and understood in every culture and every time since it was first penned. And it certainly doesn't use 21st century scientific or technical language. But I really believe that scientific, technical uh, ideas and accounts do not need to be set against theological and biblical ones. 
Actually, Genesis provides answers to questions that science can never answer. However, when we treat these early chapters of Genesis wisely and well with respect and think about them and take them almost, as I would say, at face value, they actually can help us to shape a worldview which actually is very comfortable with science. In fact, you could argue that it's the Judeo-Christian worldview based on the Bible that is one of the main reasons why science as we know it today ever did emerge. Because the Bible gives us a worldview which suggests order and suggests a creator, that the universe and this world are not the product of blind chance. They're not merely a random result of probabilities. They didn't arise out of nothing. The universe is not self-existent. A wise, all-powerful, all-knowing God created everything. This is a God who's both transcendent, that means other than us, way above us, and able to create us and everything around us, but is also imminent, which is a word which means he's involved and active in what he's created. So creation is not part of God's being. It's not as though he was sort of infused in it all, a bit like pantheism or anything like that. Creation was made by God, is utterly dependent on God for its subsistence and sustenance and up, is upheld by him, and yet he's involved in it and active in it. It's absolutely essential we as Christians think about these big truths sometimes, take them seriously and believe them because they're foundational to how we live in our daily lives. So let me take a few moments to just set out some big picture stuff. Let's talk about God is transcendent. God is transcendent. Now that means transcending all limitations. He is beyond all limits. Who made God? Now, over 40 years ago, I was a school teacher and I taught English and religious studies. If I had a pound for every boy who said, Oi, sir, 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 who made God then? Who made God? If I had a pound for all those, I'd be a rich man. It's a very common question. Thought it was a killer question that would flummox me. Well, actually, the answer is very, very simple. No one made God. He never needed to be made. He is self-existent. There's a verse in Psalms which beautifully sums it up. Psalm 90 verse 2 reads like this. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Now, we, you and me and all of us, exist in a very dependent, sort of derived, fragile, finite way. We are creatures. God exists in an external eternal, sorry, eternal, self-sustaining, unchanging way. And that's just off our map. He is the creator. We need to allow him to be God or we get into all sorts of muddles. Even theologians do. Here's a great quote from J.I. Packer. He said this, in theology, endless mistakes result from supposing that the conditions bounds and limits of our own finite existence apply to God. They're wise words. God needs nothing. He's not limited in any way. He has life in himself and he draws unending energy from within himself. And it's vital to our spiritual health as Christians and followers of Jesus and those who believe in God. It's vital 
we allow God to be God, that we believe he is what he said he is, almighty, eternal, sovereign, all-knowing, ever-present, without beginning and end of days, great beyond our imagination. Now, it's worth saying, because we need to address this, that it is impossible for anything to create itself. Just let that settle. It is impossible for anything to create itself. Self-creation is actually a contradiction in terms. Because if you're saying something creates itself, it has to be before it is, which is nonsense, actually. It has to be before it is. Now, reason, our reason, as we look around us at this world, it demands that if there anything is, if anything exists, then something must have within it the power of being. Something must be a first cause. Unless something existed in itself forever, primarily, nothing could possibly exist. And God is that first cause, that prime cause of everything, the great I am. And he has within himself the power of being. Now, this is a lofty truth and and it's awesome. And it's frankly out of our frame of reference. We're very dependent and creaturely. But it is part of the glorious otherness of God. And we need to meditate on this sometimes. The verses we read this morning tell us plainly some big facts. One is that time and space were created by God. God created time and space, but he is beyond the bounds of either time or space. Now, we are so thoroughly creatures that we are absolutely locked into time and space in an, all sorts of ways. It is our whole environment. So this really does blow off a fuse in our brain box. But let's let's try. Let's try and grasp it because it's important to understand the big aspects of our God. Let's talk about space, first of all. God created all space. And in what we read this morning, it's clear that he separated things. He separated the light from the darkness. He separated the sun from the moon and from the other heavenly bodies. He separated the stars. He separated the land from the water from the sky. He created everything we know of as space. Now, it's vast and it makes us feel small. We feel small when we look at the Himalaya mountains. We feel small when we look at the sun or know something about the size of the sun. And we feel very small as our telescopes tell us of the millions of stars and billions of stars and billions of galaxies. Yet God made them. And actually in verse 16, it's almost a throwaway sentence, a passing mention. God made the stars, all the billions of them. He made them because he just did. I think there's a key lesson to learn from them. And that is that rather strangely, size is nothing to God. He is big beyond our imagination, but he is closer to us and nearer to us than our dearest friend. Those are biblical concepts, and I believe they are both true. All and every sort of space is created by God, yet none of it limits him at all. He's not bound by any of it. One old writer, as Puritan, who I love reading, Matthew Henry put this in his commentary on these verses. The height of the heavens should remind us of God's supremacy and infinite and the infinite distance between us and him. 
The vastness of the heavens, their encompassing of the earth and the influence they have upon it should remind us of his immensity and universal providence. They did write well in those days, well, I think they did anyway. <laughs> but a beautiful sense that one of the things we get from all the space we look at is how vast God is and how powerful he is. But the Bible is very clear. He's not limited by space. The Bible tells us God is everywhere in his fullness continually. <laughs> that's, that's what we call omnipresent. He's everywhere in his fullness continually. God knows everything about everybody and everything all the time. He's big enough to know what's happening to an individual sparrow and what's happening to you. God is not detached or separated from what he's made. Here's a verse in Jeremiah, which is talking about this. God speaks through the prophet. Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? There is no place anyone can hide from God. No corner of the universe where God is not. He is present in all places and fully present in every place. So actually we can always be certain of God's undivided attention. The barrier between us, between you and me and God, is not a barrier of space. There is no place, no space we've got to go to, or where, if you like, to meet with God. We can meet with God anywhere and be immediately in his presence. And it's more about stepping into his dimension, the dimension of the spirit. That's how we connect with God and come into his presence. He is with you and near you, whether you recognise him or not. It's better to recognise him and enjoy his presence. Well, space he made, but he also made time. Let's move on to that. These verses tell us that God created time and therefore is separate from time. Like space, it's something he made. He is bigger than it, if you like. He exists outside of time, but he is free to act within it as he wills. One of the clear themes of the verses we read is that God created what we know as cycles of time, night and day, weeks, years, seasons. He created the bodies that make the rhythms of time that you and I are so familiar with. It's very important to say the heavenly bodies did not work to create us. We have not evolved out of a mass of material in the universe. They themselves are all part of God's creation. The sun and the moon were made by God to help us and bless us and order our lives. They are not deities to be worshipped. That's foolishness and it's an insult to God. We're not to worship the heavenly bodies. We're not to think that the stars determine our destinies. They don't. They were made by God. They declare something of God's glory and immensity and awe. And they also have a purpose of helping to give rhythm and order to our lives. The stars have stayed in their positions for millennia. The stars we look out at are the same that were looked out at by our forebears 10,000 years ago. But one of the purposes of them, as God makes clear, is to help us have orderly lives and to be able to live within the seasons and orders he's put. 
And actually, I still think it's amazing how accurately and precisely God's systems work. The solar system, the stars, we can navigate by them. We can tell when there's going to be a high tide years in advance. We can have a lunar calendar. We can use the stars and the suns. We can send nowadays a rocket to Mars. It's gone one has gone recently. And we can be very sure of the, of the rotations and the orbits and the various uh, physical movements that we have to take uh, account of so that we can calculate to get our rocket right in the right place. They are totally reliable in their courses. God is not limited, though, by what he's made. God's not limited by time. There is no present moment to which God is locked in. Now, that is something awesome. He is the great I am. Not accidental, that phrase. I am ever present. He lives in eternal nowness. He is simultaneously God of the past, the present and the future. He has no regrets about the past. He has no anxieties concerning the present. And he has no uncertainties regarding the future. You couldn't get much other than us than that because we're so much creatures of time and so prone to those various emotions of uncertainty and anxiety about what we don't know, regrets, what's gone. God does not exist like that. He is above and beyond it all. OK, let's think about this a little more now as we come into the last part of what I want to say. How does this apply to us? As we go about our daily lives, as we go into this week, what does it mean for us? Well, I'm going to give you three things that I think are very important. There could be loads more we could say. I want to, first of all, talk about resolution of mysteries. Many of us, if we think, are quite troubled by some things that would have seemed sometimes contradictory that we come across in our Bible. Things like God's sovereignty and human responsibility, which comes out on top, or God's chosen us and yet we had freedom of choice and made a decision to put faith in Jesus. Or how did God deal with my current sins and my future sins through the death of Jesus, which actually happened 2000 years ago in a specific place in, in Palestine or in Israel and on the hill, hill at Calvary. So how could that deal with my sin now 2000 years later and maybe what I commit even in the future? All of these questions are very real to us and we could have many more. But I personally believe that the resolution to these dilemmas, obviously we trust God's word, but if we're thinking about it and struggling about it, the resolution to these dilemmas is in the godness of God, is accepting that God is who he said he is, that he is the creator. He's not limited by time. He's not limited by space. He knows the end from the beginning. He lives in eternal nowness. He is simultaneously the God of the past, the present, the future, the stuff we've just been saying. We are so limited. We're so locked in that we do struggle. But I want to give you an illustration that the gap between us and God is massive. It's so massive that I don't think I can find a really accurate illustration. But there is quite an old illustration which has gone back over the centuries where I think Calvin used it, said that, well, God, when he speaks to us, he lisps to us like to a small infant because he knows that we are very limited. Well, I had a very real personal experience of something that illustrated this well to me uh, only a few days ago, actually, when I was preparing this. 
I hope this will help you because it's trying to say, well, what is it like between us and God? So we're like little infants and God's like the most intelligent adult you could ever think of. Uh, let's bear that in mind as I tell you my little incident, my little illustration. Now, I actually uh, mentor a few leaders in other churches, and I do that with a guy called Dave McNee, who is one of the elders down at Life Church Southampton. And to do that, we're going through some cards called Leadership Framework Cards, and they have got various colours to do with various subjects. Now, I think if I remember rightly, on the day that I'm going to tell you about, he and I were going through card 26 and we were talking about the questions. Is there great little starters for real leadership discussions? Now, while we were doing that, Dave's two year old daughter, she's somewhere between two and three, Charlotte, she came into his room, probably got away from mum, as we found out later, and just said hello to her daddy. And daddy very kindly got her up on his knee. Now, because she's a modern little two-year-old, she wasn't phased by the big screen with the bald man on it. That was me. She waved to me. I waved, hello, Charlotte. We still said hello. And she waved at me like that. And then uh, she asked her dad, what he, he, daddy, what, what were you doing? And he said, he picked his card up. He said, I'm talking to John about these cards. And I hopefully try to engage with her. And I love children. I love, I've got 10 grandchildren. So I engaged from my end. I put my card up and said, look, yes, yes. What colour is this card? So with a little bit of help, she said yellow and she got it right. Yellow. So then we had a nice little game for a couple of minutes. So I got some of the other cards. I said, what's that one? Oh, blue. Yeah. And green, green. And we had several minutes of good little conversation of these coloured cards. Now, I didn't even think of, and nor did our dad, saying to her what we were doing with the cards. She's a two-year-old. But I could have read to her the actual card, the yellow one, that we were doing. And this was what we were talking about. I was asking him under a accountable and teachable section, who has permission to speak into your life? How often do you speak with them? What sort of things have you discussed recently? What's the most difficult piece of feedback you've received about yourself or something you've done? What was the impact on you? Now, do you think little Charlotte would have had a clue what we were talking about? Gone right over her head. Of course it would. So we just stayed at the level of we're talking about these cards and the colours. I assume she's gone away thinking once a month, daddy and this funny man with no hair talk about colours on cards. And perhaps daddy has a guessing game about what the colours are. I would say that's an illustration of the gap between us and God. What he says to us is true, but when we try and get our heads around it, if we try to go beyond what we can understand, we will just fall flat on our face. I'll give you one little twist to the card story because I think it was quite interesting. We'd done the colours of those ones I showed you, and then we got to this card. And uh, Dave and I, for a moment, hesitated. It, oh, what colour is it? And as we were at that point, and the little girl was obviously quiet because she didn't know either, Mims, that's the Charlotte's mum, Dave's wife, came in looking for her girl. Oh, there she is. Came in and saw what we were doing. And she immediately said, oh, that's teal. <laughs> that's teal. Now, immediately there was an adult discussion with a bit of a snigger and a laughter between the two of us and her about teal and the colours and colour things. Just a little bit. And at that point, Charlotte was even talking about colours. We lost her. Now, I think that's quite an illustration. Even today, when I talk about eternal nowness, when I talk about God being fully present everywhere all the time, we're really going, 
just like little Charlotte. And yet God does tell us about himself. He does come down. It's true, Daddy and I are talking about cards and they are all coloured. But the idea that she could grasp what we're really doing is obviously ridiculous. And I think we've got to accept that. We've got to accept that about God. The secret things belong to the Lord our God and the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. Deuteronomy 29, 29. And we must trust God and rest our faith in a God who's big enough to do all the stuff he says he can do and who knows the end from the beginning. And we trust him. Let's quickly move on. The second thing I want to mention is there's no place for idolatry. Nothing that is made by God should be worshipped. Nature worship, people worship, self-worship, they're all unacceptable, sinful. They're idolatrous. God owns everything. Nothing that he's created should be worshipped. Nothing belongs to another created being because everything belongs to God. And he ultimately will have the say on what happens to everything and anything. So we don't find our value in possessions or even in the world around us, though we're meant to love it and enjoy it. We don't find our value in our achievements, our relationships. Our fundamental value is in our origins created by God and our relationship with him. We're accountable to God. We're accountable how we, for how we use everything, everything he's made, the world around us, the talents he's given us, the people he's given us. We're accountable to him for those things. We were made for a relationship with this great God. But that relationship was ruptured by our rebellion against him and our sin and going our own way. But God has stooped down to reconnect us poor, frail creatures with his almighty self. And he did that in and through Jesus Christ, who was God become man, the God man. I just want to read you a few verses from John's gospel because it brings that so brilliantly, brilliantly together. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. The word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. Then it goes on. The true light, which gives light, gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world. The world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, but nor of the will of man, but of God. Now that needs a whole morning to itself. But what it's saying is this wonderful person, Jesus was God become man. And he came to bring us back to the father, back to the, our creator. And as we receive him and believe in him and trust in him and all he did, we will be reconnected back to this great creator, this great God. But I want to finish with a third point. So I'm quickly moving on to that. True worship. Here's another quote from J.I. Packer. Knowledge of God's greatness naturally produces great faith and great praise. That's true. The truest expression of trust in the godness of God, in the greatness of God, the things we can't grasp, the things we have to trust him for, the truest expression of that trust is worship, actually. Proper worship, which includes praising him, which includes extolling his name and, as it were, committing ourselves unequivocally to him. Just, just trusting him with our lives and 
you know, brothers and sisters, if we're followers of Jesus, if we're Christians, we need to big up worship. Let's worship this great God. Let's give him all the glory that he's due. I'm sometimes concerned with all of us that in our worship, personal or corporate, we do focus a lot on ourselves, but perhaps too much. Of course, we need to be engaged and understand what God's done for us. And it's great to give thanks for what he's done for us. And it's great to tell him what we feel about him. But there are bigger things to worship for as well. We need to sometimes worship God just for being God. We need to get hold of the big stuff about God and just praise him for who he is and thank him for being who he is. Indeed, praise him beyond our understanding. Be lost in wonder, love and praise, as one old hymn says. I think it is appropriate in worship to sometimes forget about yourself and just concentrate on him. And sometimes in worshipping God as God, it brings order and, and, and a perspective to our own lives that we may not otherwise get. I would encourage you on your own and when you're in corporate worship, think big things about God and worship him just for who he is. So in closing, I want to read a psalm, a short psalm, which sort of does that as an example. And then I'll briefly pray out of it. This is Psalm 93. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He has put on strength as his belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. Mightier than the thunders of many waters. Mightier than the waves of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. Your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. Father, we want to thank you this morning for everything that you are. I thank you, Lord, that you're beyond my understanding. I thank you you're big enough to know me and big enough to be sovereign over my circumstances and big enough to have a good purpose in view for my life to know the end from the beginning. I thank you I can trust you to deal with my sin in ways that I don't quite understand. I can trust you to answer my prayers and to guide my steps. Lord, I do afresh this morning commit my way into your hands. I pray that everyone listening this morning will do the same, that they will acknowledge that you are the great and sovereign God, far higher and mightier and bigger than they can understand. And they will trust you and put their lives in your good hands. I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.